Episode 9 of Season 4 on the Improv Comedy Connection Podcast is here. I'm your host, Whit Schiller, and today I am sharing a conversation with Jay Suko. Jay is a veteran improviser who got a start in Chicago and ended up working at Comedy Sports, Second City, and I.O. there. But he also has taught at festivals around the world and served as the artistic director at Improv Comedy Copenhagen Theater for about a year or so. He's also been someone who has jumped in with both feet to the online improv world, including his 10 Minutes With series with improvisers from around the world. In the pre-show, we ended up getting into this fascinating discussion about his absolute favorite 10-minute scene, and I scrambled to hit the record button. So that's where we'll begin the Jay Suko episode of the Improv Comedy Connection. Because well, Let me hit record. Oh, okay. Um, because at the end, it was like, I, I don't think I could ever do better. I think that was probably the greatest, like not like it felt like art, but it felt hilarious. Yeah. And it felt like, man, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, how can you, 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 it was a connection on a deeper plane yeah. than just doing improv. It, it really was something that I was like, I didn't know this is what I wanted to do, but with, this is what I want to do. And, and it just changed my, it really changed my life. It's like, it was the highlight of my improv career, to be honest with you. And something that will never, I can never duplicate with anybody else. Yeah. And, and all in 10 minutes in 10 over minutes. Zoom. Right. It's like you, yeah. you don't think yeah. it could happen, but like you can make that connection with someone. And, and if you're lucky enough to play with someone like that, you'll never forget it. Yeah. Well, there's been there's been a lot of amazing scenes, but now that you mentioned that one, yeah. I totally get it. Right? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So so okay. Enough about that. Yeah. I mean, I could go on forever. I could go on for, I could go on for a long time about that scene too, because it just left an imprint. So yeah. yeah. Well, it was nice of you to to rank them, um, but um, well, let's just kind of just jump into the rest of improv and and Jay. Did I hear right that you got your start in improv at uh, or your first experience with improv at the same place as I did in the comedy sports in Milwaukee? Oh, I think, yeah, I think my first experience was I was going to school at Marquette in Milwaukee. And it, oh, that's where you went to college? Well, that's where I went. That was one of the places I went to college. I spent a year. Oh, okay. I spent a year. Okay. And they they gently asked me not to come back. Um, but because I didn't realize when they, we have nothing left to teach you. I've, well, I, yeah, I didn't realize you you had to go to class. Like you couldn't just go to the other. Yeah, stuff. that's a Marquette thing. That's a market thing. <laughs> so I, one of the, one of the like, um, you know, things that you would do as part of the floor where, where like the RAs would go, oh, we're going to do yes. an outing. And it was comedy sports, which was a clean comedy improv show. Yep. And I, looking back now, I'm like, this is such a strange choice for them to make to do an audience volunteer game. That was that game. What are you doing? Which is a very... Conf oh, they did that as what are you doing? They, okay. They're like, we're yeah. going to have somebody, come audience up, volunteer. an audience volunteer come up for that. Okay. And that's a very, you're, you're saying 
something you're doing that is opposite of what you're actually doing. It's like you're, you're, you're patting your, right. your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. Now for an, it takes a while to get comfortable doing that as an improviser, but for, I, and I remember I got up there and the first couple of times I was, you were the volunteer. I was then. the volunteer and I just kind of, I didn't know what was going on. So I just stood there looking and they were like, just say anything. And I was just like, <laughs> And I finally said something, or I said maybe I, maybe I did two things, and then the comedy sports player took a dive. And I I I will never. Okay. I, I think it was Brian Green. I don't know if you remember Brian oh, Green. I know Brian Green very well. Yeah, I think he was. He on, took a dive for you. He took a dive he, that's, for me. That's solid. Yeah, and he was on yeah. stage at that time as the other person, and he he made it. I left going. I I did that. I won. Wow. Yeah. And and that was that was my first experience with like an improv show, definitely, or any kind of improv was was watching comedy sports in Milwaukee. Yeah. And then did that like now you were looking for it or it took a while for you to find whatever whatever got you actually <laughs> fully hooked? <laughs> it I was not looking for it after that. I was like, oh how fun. Yeah. I also there it wasn't like accessible. It wasn't like, oh, you can take a class. Like, I, I, I know you could take a class, but it was not anything that I went, oh, that that seems like something I could do. It was more like yeah. I, I had done a stand up competition. I did one stand up thing and I just did when I was God, I was it was around that time. And I thought like, Oh, that maybe that stuff maybe isn't for me. That stage performing. Right. Okay. Probably isn't my gig. And, and it was just a fun night and it didn't really strike me until years later when it was like, Oh wow, this is something that we, you can actually do. But like at that time I was not thinking I want to follow up with this. I was just like, Oh, that, what a fun thing. It's a, right. it's a sports event and they're doing comedy and yeah. everybody's laughing. It's yeah. a real fun time. And they, and they can't swear. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. But it was not, it was not like that's, I was not one of those people with that was like, that's what I want to do. I found my thing. I know. I hear some of those stories too. And it's like, wow, that is, that is an interesting way just to be like grabbed. And that now your whole life is laying out before you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what did kind of pull you in? You weren't a theater major, were you? No, I did some plays in high school and I liked it. I liked doing okay. it. And sure. Uh, but again, I was not like, and even to this day, it wasn't the drive for me. The pull wasn't like, it's strange to say, but the pull wasn't like, I want to be performing. I, I don't ever feel like that was the thing I wanted to do. But I remember right. taking a class. My parents gave me a class at Second City when I was finishing up my final year in college. So my first year, I saw comedy sports. Fast forward like four years later. Okay. And my parents said, we think this might be something you'd enjoy doing. And so I took improv classes and I don't even think I made the connection to comedy sports where I was like, oh, I saw this. I didn't, I don't think I made that until like I auditioned for comedy sports in Chicago. And I was like, oh, right. I did. I saw that show yeah. when I was a freshman. So the, the, <laughs> the thing that really connected me was like, 
oh, I'm in a group with people who make me laugh and we're having fun and doing silly stuff. And like like when I was a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a bunch of kids my age. And so that that feeling of being a part of a group and doing things to make other people laugh, that's something that I was always attracted to, but like never necessarily in front yeah. of people. That's kind of an interesting aspect when you when you get into it for that reason. How do you think that makes your approach to improv different than someone who's looking for kind of reaching whatever the next thing is, whether that's in theater or, you know, SNL or whatever it is, there's some other goal other than just having fun with other people you like. Yeah. I think for some folks, it's a stepping stone to get somewhere. I'm going to use this to get on a stage. I'm going to use improv to get on a TV show. I love Performer X. They went through these training centers. Therefore, I go through these training centers. I will end up at that same place, right? Like that's the... Yeah. And it, and it applies also to like universities where you say, I want to get into this university because I want to go on to do X, Y and Z. And a lot of people from this university have gone on there. So this is a, a way to not guarantee it, but a, a safer, a safer bet to get to where I want to go. But for me, it was never like, ooh, I want to be in this group. I want even taking classes at Second City. I wasn't like, I want to be on the main stage of the Second City. That was that never appealed to me. What appealed to me was I'm enjoying this moment with my friends creating this uh, this art form, whether it's improv or sketch comedy. And if I could do this with my friends, then I'd like love to be on that stage. But if it's I'm going to lose this group this ensemble I'm in to then f be a part of another yeah. handpicked ensemble that didn't appeal to me because right. I was like, eh, I don't know. I want the group thing. I like the group dynamic. I like these people I've trained with. I know we can create some really cool stuff together. So if my class at second city after level, our third level said, Hey, do you want to learn how to blow glass? And everyone's like, let's go blow. I would, uh -huh. I would want to do that. I'm like, yeah, let's go blow glass. Like whatever it is that would be the yeah. group together rather than I'm in this class to progress and, and make it a career. And there's nothing wrong with people who do that. And it's great to be like, yes, you want to be an actor or an improviser, or you want to be a film actor, or, or you want to be a working actor. You need improv. Like that's, especially now that I'm in LA, I see that it's a, it's no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. And before casting directors would say improv is only good. A casting director said this improv is only good. If the script blows out of your hand, like that was the mentality years ago. Like it was not a valid <laughs> skill. And now people are saying it's a must have. And you start seeing people like, you know, Tina Fey or Amy Poehler or Sudeikis or, or Key and Peele. They all have improv backgrounds and they're all just dominating the landscape of entertainment. Steven Yoon, who I just saw the movie he was nominated for. I just saw that. It's great. He was an, he did improv in Chicago. And so you're starting to see all these mm -hmm. folks where it's, it's a necessity if you want to have a career in it. But for me, it was never like, I'm going to make it a career. And ironically, improv is my career now, but it didn't start off that way. Yeah. By the way, my, uh, Still alive, 98-year-old grandfather was a glass blower. So if you want to get a crew together. <laughs> I, I honestly do. I had a student who went on to do that. He's like, I'm not moving on to uh, level 
four, I'm going to take up this class. I was like, oh my God, I let me know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you were at Comedy Sports, that was your first place that you did it professionally? And was that before Second City? That, well, that was after Second City. It's funny. The classes, I mean. Yeah, I at one point I was doing a show at Comedy Sports. I was in the ensemble. I was doing Second City and Improv Olympic or IO at the same time. So I was doing mm-hmm. three different. Okay. I think Second City probably was my first professional one because in the sense that people paid to see me because we did yeah. like a we we ended up doing our student graduation show it started out as, as just doing it for three nights and we did it then over a year. So we, we did that. We didn't really get paid for that, but comedy sports was the first show mm-hmm. that I got paid to do. And I thought, man, I made it. I think I got $6 yeah. or $4. And I thought <laughs> for a show and I was like, step aside suckers. I, <laughs> I'm getting paid to do this. And I would do, you know, when I was doing it pretty much four shows a weekend. So it's like, what's yeah. up 20 bucks? Like I thought, <laughs> you know, I was 20. I think when I got into comedy sports, Chicago, I was 23, I think my okay. first time I got in. And so, you know, I'm 23 and I'm like, Oh, all you suckers doing this for free. I'm getting money. And, and people would love it. Like I would have friends come to see me do an improv Olympic show and a comedy sports show. And IO is long form improv. And they would say, right. They would be like, dude, don't get the, that show. We like comedy sports. It's a surefire date night. We love it. They're like, we, and I'm like, sometimes I don't get the long form show either, man, but both served, (laughs) both served me very well. It's just when I started doing comedy sports, that idea of, group comedy working together was something I really loved. I loved that idea of knowing we're playing a show. We're not playing scenes. We're, we're doing scenes within a show this night. I'm the, I'm the Mm -hmm. villain. I'm the one nobody likes. That's cool. The next night I'm the one that everyone likes the third night. I'm the one people could care less about like, but you always had, it was a different show each night different games, different audience, different show. And that really taught me how to be a performer was doing that and doing it at a, um, at a place called the improv, which was a stand-up club in Chicago and people would come Mm -hmm. out there and they, people would be on the phones who work there. There'd be many people just calling up saying, you want tickets, you want tickets. They didn't know what they were getting tickets for. They thought it was stand-up. So they'd come out, (laughs) they'd come, you'd see a room full of people. They're, they're looking they're questioning why there's AstroTurf on a stage. A referee would come right. out and go, who's ready for competitive improv? And like, there were nights when 15 <laughs> people got up and left at that line. Yeah. They're like, no, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't sign up for this. So then you were like, man, we got to be fast. So, wait, which is worse? <laughs> which is worse them leaving right at the beginning <laughs> or in the middle? The middle. <laughs> The middle, by far. The middle, you sure? hundred percent. Because in the beginning, you're like, oh, because they, you knew they weren't told what they were seeing. They're just like improv, stand up. That's what we're seeing. If they leave in the middle, they've given you a shot. And now, and they've said, no, thank you. Like in the beginning, they haven't even given you a See, shot. I, 
I, I would have the opposite feeling, I think. Because I think in the middle, if you get half of the audience leaving, I would feel like I had accomplished something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know, I just can just see how much fun it would be to come back out to the other half. <laughs> oh. Like, all right, here we go. Well, that <laughs> you realize that halftime got shorter and shorter. Because you were like, we're we're not gonna risk them going. We're, we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get back up there, and you know, once if they stayed past that, we also cut the ref speech down a lot. So at the beginning of comedy sports shows, there's a ref speech that explains yeah. it, and you were like, yeah. sometimes you would do it. It would be ten minutes, and then you'd say, uh, uh-uh, for this crowd, it's got to be like a ninety seconds to get right. into the action. And here are the, here your players. Here's let's your go. players. Let's go and get <laughs> get to it quick. And so I learned in that atmosphere. It was a great training because you learned to it's like a murder mystery when somebody walks in and goes, there's been a mystery and people are eating dinner and they're like, we didn't sign up for this. What what are you (laughs) what? There's been a what now? So you have to get them really quickly. And that's that's something that's really benefited me a lot of times is like, okay, you didn't have the luxury of kind of wandering into figuring out what things were. It's like, no, you got to get them right at the start. And so that mm-hmm. was a great skill to just build up a callus for doing many shows mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, we're good. We got another show. And after this show's done, we got a, a 40 minute break. We're doing a second show. So you got to forget about that first show and hit the second one. So I, mm-hmm. I really, I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that challenge too, of like when I was at improv Olympic it was mostly other performers in the audience. And so this was mostly people who are not performers at comedy sports coming to see your show. So it's like, okay, are you really funny in front of an audience of people who don't really know what's happening because there's not a big explosion of improv? All right. So we've talked about, (laughs) um, not necessarily you and I, but maybe we've talked about this somewhere along the way, but it is a common theme of how, long form gets improvisers as audience members. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just throw out a number, Jay. How long do you think we've had long form improv as an audience option? Like 30 years? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe a little better than that? I'd say like probably the 80s is when it really started like becoming more somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. The 80s and then the 90s definitely the the early 90s really started this kind of upswing and explosion of like improv as an art form, which goes back to the battles that like, you know, Bernie Sollins and Del Close had where Del was like a real big proponent of this could be an art form. And Bernie from Second City was like, it's used to create sketch. And so for a long time, that was the battle back and forth. So, But we've probably had something along the lines of our improv experience putting aside the pandemic and again i just think back to that that 10 minute scene i just oh. i all right you said enough about it it's just uh, i mean amazing. it's hard but, it's you you have that reaction now imagine being in it and it's like it's one of those things that I, you oh just sh- it shakes what you believe can happen so yeah I, I'm just surprised you kept going afterwards, but maybe it's you're hard. just chasing that feeling again. Is it? it is. It's okay. like, it's like a All drug. Right, but, it's like a drug. 
But okay, so let's say 15 years or so, we've had the kind of long form out there. Why is it still that way? where it's long form improvisers as a majority of the audiences in most of the long form theater context. Well, Wit, have you ever seen a Herald night? I have. And what happens is you have, for most of the time, you'll have three groups. And yeah. to get an ensemble to drop their ego and everything they have to focus on the show and to push that forward yeah. is very hard first off. So of those three groups, let's say conservatively, if you hit one out of three shows are, are good and understandable, that's a good percentage. So you're now, now you have people coming out also who don't have an understanding. They don't have a reference of, the improv that like we do as performers or students. So they're coming out and you're saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to be performing improv. A, they probably think it's still stand up. They probably don't quite understand. We do because we're improvisers, but like right. we're a very small right. group of the population. They also then, if they have a reference, most likely it's whose line is it anyway, is a good reference. So they're expecting mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we don't necessarily always set it up for people when they come in to be like, here's what's going on. And then they go, oh, okay, I get it. Like right. a lot of times, even a good show, sometimes it takes like a third of it to understand what the hell is going on for an audience member. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and so sometimes you have groups where it's like they are having an off night and they're, they aren't connecting in the way with the audience that a short form show will connect with an audience. And we do that based on when you're doing short form, it's based on you're getting suggestions a ton from the audience with long form. It's like, we're going to get, we're going to take one suggestion and let's say the suggestion is pirate. And then the group starts off with, mm -hmm. with something that has nothing to do with being pirates. The audience is kind of like, what is going on? <laughs> I don't understand. Right. You've taken you've taken three steps. Yes. You went to Willie Stargell oh my from God. the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team. That was my first reference I was going to pull <laughs> And now out. you're thinking about stars. Right. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say. Okay, now let's you're... go out there. <laughs> now you're talking about Willie Stargell. And the audience is like. Right. And now you're making it. Like you said, you're making a jump to stars. The audience didn't see you make that jump. They don't understand that's what it is. Right. And so what they're doing is they're trying to catch up to this equation you're doing with your format and not saying it can't right. work, but the idea of, Hey, here's what we're doing, which in short form happens, whether it's a referee or a host or the players say, here's what we're, the audience goes, Oh, I'm going to sit back and see if they can do it. Let's see if they can do that yeah. thing. Whereas yeah. if you say pirate, the audience is kind of like, I'm not quite sure what's going on right now, but let me, let me watch right. to see what happens. And then you have things that aren't necessarily always committed to. You have things that aren't necessarily mm -hmm. connected. You have people who are the two actors on stage are trying to agree of what they're doing. The audience is trying to understand mm -hmm. what's it. So you're having a lot of misfirings and misdirects right there. And so I think that's why yeah. that's, that's the challenge is can you get that group that can come out there. And most of the long form groups that have audience appeal, to be honest, 
play fast. They play fast and quick, yeah. which is a, 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 a hallmark of short form improv, which is like, hey, man, get to it. What's the suggestion? The suggestion is um, racquetball. Short form players start playing racquetball right away. The audience goes, look at them. They're doing that thing I asked them to do. <laughs> Remember a Remember minute ago a minute when they ago? said racquetball? Long form. It's like <laughs> that's racquetball. That's right. Long form racquetball comes to. I am strings. Pringles. I am right. And you go, <laughs> Willie Stargo. And you're like, I don't understand. And they spend the whole time going, what does this have to do with the thing you asked me for? You said, give me a suggestion and then we will take it and mm -hmm. make something out of it. You didn't say, give me a suggestion and then it will springboard to something else. And so if you want to have a broader audience appeal, look at long form as, this is the fun challenge from the audience. What are you going to do with the suggestion of pirate that makes me as an audience understand, wow, they're creating that in the moment. Look at that. They did that. And that tied back to the suggestion that was about that. But I mean, that's, that's just my, my thought on it. I just, I just never get why we go A to C and the audience is like, I don't get, how did you land there? And then it's also like, oh dude, I went here and people on my team are going, I didn't make that same A to C jump. I'm at a different. So now you're spun off in several different directions, hoping that it works out. You've just made it harder. I mean, yeah. it's one thing if you make a connection that is surprising, but people can still tie it back. Yes. You know, so if it's going to be A to C, everybody ought to see like, oh, yeah, that's how it has to go back to A for the audience to stay with you. That's why we used to do like the openings a lot of times early on in those those improv shows that I was a part of at I.O. would be like word association where it's like you'd say like pirate and then you'd say Willie Stargell. Mm -hmm. Like you would see it on stage and then you'd be like, oh, OK, so at least you had an understanding of how you got from A to C. And then if you did scenes about Willie Stargell, which everybody should it's like I got I saw how you got there versus like I don't understand where you're off into this this strange world and you can't get back to the to the um, suggestion. One thing that I think about with just like the 10 minute scenes, oh. again, I'm not going to go back to that moment. It's of hard glory, not but, to. It's hard not uh, to. I know I'm resisting. I'm resisting. Uh, hopefully they'll. You know, we'll we'll have to do a recap with yeah. that guest yeah. on another episode. I mean, that's that's I'll have you back for that, and that should be like a three parter. Oh they, just that ten minutes, and they they know so much about improv. Okay. Well, we're, we're getting right, off track. Right, we're right, getting right, off right. track. So, if uh, if you look at the ten minute scenes, those are just they're they're easy to figure out what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no set up for it. It's not hard for people to figure out what's going on. And you can have the fast stuff, but you could also have the slow stuff if you don't make it slow and confusing. <laughs> At least fast is distracting. <laughs> that is that is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. And fast at least goes somewhere else too, right? It like you'll, you'll be distracted. <laughs> right, yeah. It'll end up somewhere else. 
<laughs> I I had I had what I'm trying to remember what someone said to me once. They said short form is like long form, but just with the good parts. <laughs> like, well, that's that's then you're doing long form wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think long form in the hands of people like it's like any kind of art form if it's in the hands of people with experience and and they've done a ton of shows and they don't have the desperation of having to prove anything i think it could be really really satisfying and fun to do but it's like those people make they play a short form way in the sense of making fast decisions you know going right in the moment not not worried about anything in the future like it, it is a different kind of performer when you watch somebody who's got decades of experience especially long form it's like they're relaxed up there and they make these choices that you're yeah. like that's that's years of experience that leads to that so it in those situations it can it can be done and can be very enjoyable it, you just have more of a more of a enjoyment factor for an audience when you have short form because it will change every four to six minutes. And so you can put a novice in a short form show and they'll, they'll be able to easily adapt more so than if you put a, a novice in a long form show, especially when they have people that they feel intimidated by. I feel like even if you're intimidated mm -hmm. by short form players, you could still hold your own mm -hmm. because of how the format is in a short form show. If you look over sort of an evolution, and I'm, I'm kind of asking to see if you think this is true, but you, you know, you talk about the experienced players, the people who, you know, you watch a show and it feels relaxed, it feels accessible, it feels understandable. I feel like those shows typically don't put a lot of weight on the format right, uh, or form. And two, it seems like those groups tend to get smaller hmm. to the point of sometimes even being two person, like the duos. And then if you if you take it down to the duos, then the, a lot of the transitions that end up being confusing don't they just don't happen the same yeah. way. So it almost becomes more digestible for the audience. A hundred percent. And when you have less people, there's less chance of a misfire. And when True. you have, mm -hmm. and then when you have more people who have performed for a long time, they're not looking for this show to be the one that makes or breaks them. They're just like, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I've done shows yeah. with like so many, I used to do a show in LA, which was, uh, called improv famous and it's just a, a pickup game it's like a jam session right. and somebody would tell a story yep. and then we do we do scenes based on it and it was always interesting to just sit there and watch and be like that person who's brilliant who's unbelievably talented has been in very little this show and they just don't care they're just enjoying themselves and so it's not any sort of rush yeah, out yeah. there and as you get older you just expect the shows to go well when you're younger you're trying to prove something you're afraid in a long-form situation you're afraid of what's going to happen you're so you mm -hmm. lessen the stakes a lot whereas as you get older you love raising the stakes and you're like this show's gonna be fine and i think that's a huge difference is mm -hmm. what you go into the show thinking is like i think that this show is going to be okay i'm going to have a lot of fun and then we're going to go home and you you sit there and you say there are tonight 10 people on this stage 
None of them are concerned with how much stage time they get. None of them are concerned with how much they get as far as laughter goes. They're enjoying watching their friends succeed as much as them succeeding. And that's that's leaving your ego at the door. The door. It's a hard thing to do, to be like, sit back and, and let the other person get the, the spotlight. Do we, and I'm speaking globally, not you and I, but uh, improv, uh, does it does it tend to create the ego problem in the way things are taught. And I feel I'm going to add a little tag to this before you answer. I feel like our 101s can sometimes be be sales pitchy. Like improv's the best. You're doing great. Isn't this fun? Hey, let's do this. Sign up for 102. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then, and so let's put 101 to the side, but <laughs> from there on, do we end up teaching too much ego along the way, or is that just who's coming in and we're letting it happen, or I don't know? Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying with that, because that 101 is, that's the, what you're trying to do is, you're trying to bring people in because theaters have had to figure a way to monetize this thing. And it's like, how are we going to yeah. monetize it? Because it's a business. And it's like, for as much as we've been told by so many theaters, we're like a family. It's like, no, we're, it's a business that has been run poorly because it's been run off the backs of volunteers and people doing free labor mm-hmm. and the money going to a small few in that situation. And so mm-hmm. I think we can still maintain that attitude of this is great as you progress and learn more. I just think what happens is it's there's a there's several factors in my experience, which I've noticed. One is like the level one teachers are always the ones that have the biggest impact on those students lives. And they're always the ones that are like the the teddy bears and the ones that people really really speak highly about are those level one, because that's your introduction into it. As you go, I think if a theater is set up to be a competition to get on a team, I think that's what happens a lot. So ego comes into play a lot more. It's like, you've got to get noticed. And what happens is, in my experience, people go through the training center, they're taught one thing, and then it's like, but that's not what you reward. The thing you're teaching in this class of listening not right. going for laughs. It's like, but all I see on your stage are the ones that are getting laughs. Like that is, that is contradictory. So then people start jockeying for positions and people start saying, am I seen? What do I have to do? They come in the level four of the term and the, of the class and they go, Hey, whip, you tell me the answers, all that other stuff. I know was it, what, what's mm-hmm. the real answer for improv? What do I have to do to continue to get on that team? What do I, so that ego comes into play. The ego is also in, you know, we teach, you're a part of a group, but then as you progress, you become less of, it's less about the group and it's more about the end result or the product. And so you're teaching that right. or you're teaching these different skills and you get away from that level one thing of like, it's about us. It's about the group. It's yeah. about the ensemble and not just the ensemble. It's about you with bringing your voice to this. And how do we blend that? Not drop your voice for this blob. How do we bring your voice in? And that's why mm-hmm. that's why the organic opening is made fun of so much is because 
people say it's a bunch of people standing around saying whoosh, right? That's like the the organic opening is. And it's like, well, it's it's taught wrong. It's not, that's not what the point of doing this is, is not for all of us to get in sync. The point of doing this is it's like a song to bring your instrument into harmony with the other instruments on stage. And how do you find that? And how do you find that fit? And so if we could do a lot more teaching about dropping what your expectations are and leaving your ego at the door while at the same time creating space for you to be heard, it's you'll the desperation will go away. And I think desperation and fear are the two biggest killers. It's the desperation to have to prove something. It's the fear of I'm not good enough. And and humans love finding secret clubs. And the only thing they love more than secret clubs are secret clubs inside the secret club. <laughs> right? It's like, this is the true way. This is the way to improvise. We, I'm a this person. I'm a second city guy. I'm an IO gal. I'm a UCB dude. Like it's it's all I I'm in the secret club. I'm in the inner sanctum of the secret club. And I think that has been a big detriment. And I think the the, the teachers of this and the owners have been a big detriment to that as well, where they go. As humans, we're comfortable surrounding ourselves with people who look like us. And so we have a lot of people that look like you and me doing this for a long period of time. And instead of going, I have to be proactive and go search out other voices and allow space for other voices. It became less of that and more of we have to narrow it in. So now around me are a bunch of people like me. And I think that's this pandemic has has completely obliterated that. Thank goodness we needed that reset because it was not going to sustain. I was surprised, honestly, it sustained itself for as long as it did. I just couldn't, I couldn't see it continuing in the same way. And then finally, it's mm -hmm. it's now an opportunity where you could take a class from anyone at any point in the world, and you should be doing that. You should be taking classes from all different voices to get their point of view uh, and what they feel about it, and not just rely on a select few to go, that's the way to do it, because person X said it. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Have, have, you, um, have you gotten back to in-person teaching no. yet or no? I, I don't want to. I think there are, to stay online. I want to. I want to stay virtual. I want to push it. I want to see. There are so many people in my experience who said, whether it's I, the the schedule didn't work out for me before, and now it does, or I'm not. I, right. I can't take a class from anybody because nobody's in my vicinity. Or people who said I learned mm -hmm. better this way. I do not want to stand in front of a group of people and do this. Mm -hmm. I want to do it from mm -hmm. my home where I'm comfortable and this is the way I want to do it. So for me, I, plus with the surge of the Delta and, and what's going to be variations right. of that happening, I'm, I just don't want to put myself in that situation where I'm in front of people. I'm just not ready to do it right now. And I'm enjoying the virtual too much. Yeah. No, but, but are you also saying, assuming we do get to a point where, the current concerns aren't there and Lord help us get there soon. Yeah. But if that is where we get, do you still want to stay virtual only after that? Yes, I do. So the medium, well, you tell me if you think this is true, the medium still feels different to me oh, yeah. than on stage improv. And the skills that you can teach, there's a lot that transfers mm -hmm. 
And I think there are some things that are really hard to transfer between the mediums, right? Yes. So if someone wants to be a regular pro-level performer, you have the option to get all kinds of different perspectives that are not right next door to you. Yes. And so that should never go away, right? Yes. But what about what is different then do you need to find in, uh, in instruction to be able to do in person, on stage, three-dimensional improv. Well, how should you pursue that on the other side? Well, and that that goes back to the question of what's your goal, right? What's your, yeah. is it you're looking to get somewhere? Like I want to be a, and, and I love, I laugh when you say like a pro level improviser. It's like, do you want to get paid to do this? Is that you know what I mean? So like you have to examine what is your goal. I want to be a stage performer. I want to tour around like, like whose lines in any way I you want know. to work for fish sticks. Like that's what I want to do. Then. Yeah, of course you have to get on stage. You've got, might as well dream big, <laughs> <laughs> but you are, I mean, you are one of the, the companies that m- people performers make money doing shows. I mean, that yeah. is, that is my friend. There are, there aren't many where you can say, and even we joked about the $4 comedy sports, but I was still getting paid more than I got paid doing long form or any other improv. So what is your, yeah. what is your goal? Is your goal? I want to entertain people in person in a theater. Then you need skills, mm-hmm. not just improv skills, but you need skills like projection, how you walk on a stage, how you take a bow. Like there are still skills you need in that case. Is it, I want to work on, developing characters in improv you could do that take a class with michelle gilliam you can you can do that and and Mm -hmm. develop that quickly i want to learn how to do um jts brown you can reach out to craig kakowski and you can right now reach out to him and hire him like that's the brilliance of this situation you can reach out to these improvisers that you've respected or read about in books they're more likely than not they're open to teaching you virtually and i i remember talking to to Craig about about this of like will it translate and we had a conversation he said you know at first I didn't think so and then I realized a lot of my exercises are talking heads so it does translate pretty well (laughs) to virtual so for me I'm excited at not just what's been happening but like what are the advances we we haven't even touched on any sort of augmented reality or virtual reality as so I think people are developing that skill is there going to be a hybrid? Right. Can you be on stage and I do a scene with you and it looks like we're in the same place? Like to me, there's an excitement of there's more possibility to reach more people virtually than there is if I do a stage show. And my whole goal is to get everyone to take one improv class. I think the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a, a saying one of my mentors, Martin DeMott said, if, if everyone took one improv class, mm-hmm. the world would be a better place. And now this gives you the ability to do that. So for me, and it might change, you know what, in, 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 tomorrow in six months in a year i might be like nope i got to get back in person but right now (laughs) for me it's been yeah it's been uh what 16 16 months or 17 months and and i'm still enjoying it i'm still enjoying meeting people from all over i'm still i i still i think there's a part of me with that is still excited because 
the the virtual call could just end based on technology. I could just be dropped from a call, which has happened. So I'm there's a moment of there's a little bit of this could go horribly wrong, which is part of the attraction to improv for me is like this could go terribly wrong. Now it doesn't usually go terribly wrong, but there's there's a part of that. So figuring out how to overcome my fear of technology, this has been a big help for it. Figuring out can we, you and I are in two different time zones. We're in two different days right now. We're in different hemispheres and we're still able to do this. So my excitement yeah. is not, it's not necessarily, it never been for the audience. It's the people I'm doing stuff with. That's the excitement to me. And now I can go, Hey, I really dug performing with you. I don't have to wait till we're in the same city anymore. And we have a schedule that aligns. I can right. do it. If we have a, a, a spot in our time, if we can arrange that in, in our mm -hmm. schedule, we can perform together. So I like that. I also like not having the pressure of, am I pleasing the audience, which is part of our short form background, but also for any performer, you want to make sure the mm -hmm. audience has a good time. So for this, it's like, oh, I don't get that same sense of, uh, I've got to hit something. Whereas on stage, sometimes you do have that sense of like, Oh, I, uh, this needs a bump of some sort. So I, I, and I've, the more I've talked to friends of mine too, the more they're kind of in the same mindset of like, this gives me a chance to reach out to different people. This gives me a chance to, to reach out to people who have different neurological pathways. And they're like, I don't want to be told to make eye contact because I'm not comfortable with eye contact. That's not something that, so I right. don't want to hear a teacher keep telling me to make eye contact or to, to even do like arms expert or a game that involves any sort of intimate space right there. So this has been just, to me, it's like, wow, what a, what a great pause reset. And for, in some cases, burn the place down. So I actually thought when you mentioned technology, I thought you were going a different direction. I had a friend uh, who gave me brilliant advice, I think like 20 years ago. He said, if you're tired of talking to someone on the phone, hang up while you're talking. Because <laughs> then they assume <laughs> the technology was Oh, my God. That is brilliant. <laughs> oh, did you? I Just take that. Your Zoom dropped. <laughs> Yeah. Can't get on. No <laughs> internet. Sorry. <laughs> it is a great excuse. It's a great excuse. The other part of that in terms of like that increased accessibility is it seems to me to be more individual yeah. than theater driven. Yeah. So, so you mentioned like the performer can have a goal and say, I want to work on this. I want to accomplish this. And here is someone who speaks to me or who I think I can learn from. And so I'll go that direction and I'll add to my toolkit that way. But if we look at what a, like a theater rewards or what your rewards that you look for outside of yourself, mm -hmm. You know, whether that's audience, whether that's um, inclusion, by the way, there is an inner sanctum to the inner sanctum of the secret club. I'm sorry. I'll see if I can get you in, but no promises. Um, <laughs> I hate little, I hate inside oh. kind of stuff. It just, it ruins so much. It's so much. Um, and you're, and you're there and you're like, I still don't feel like I'm a part of this. You can be in the inner sanctum and you're still like, uh, I'm going to be booted at any time. Well, or you're in it and you're like, wait a minute, this is an inner sanctum. I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be this. Yes. Um, 
But if a theater is going to reward the kind of things it doesn't teach, it talks about ensemble, but it rewards individual shining or something like that. This is also either a time for theaters to rethink that or for improvisers to create a different model than what we've got. And I, I don't know that we've fully thought that through because if you're a theater and you're like, okay, we want to reward this type of performer, how do we work backwards to foster that? Because you say something very different at the beginning. Yeah. Right? If that's if you are honest about what you're trying to really accomplish and reward. And you you look at, and this has always been the challenge, is like, is your artistic director and your education director in sync? Are they teaching that thing? And and I think there's nothing wrong with saying, we're gonna teach you how to be fast and funny. That's our thing. Like, I just don't understand yeah. why we shy away like we get into the sense of like, it shouldn't be about the comedy or the humor. And I'm like, no, no, I like making people laugh. I'm all for that. Like, I'm, I, I don't think it has to be the sole pursuit, but I definitely am like, I'm with funny people. That's part of it. So, well, and if that is what you want as your sole pursuit, okay. Go for it. Okay. Find that space. It's not higher or lower. It's different. It's different. And so find that space. And I think it's easy also to say, here's what it should be. And then, and you know, as a business owner, when you're like, I'm trying to keep the lights on or I'm trying to keep gas in the van, there's a difference of like what you would want it to be and some things that need to happen that people aren't privy to because they aren't running that business side. And as artists, we don't want to do that. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to sit there and figure out the logistics and figure out taxes and talk to a client and have that really like, that's not what performers want to do, but somebody has got to do it. And, and if you go on the other side of it, sometimes you see things that you don't as just a performer where you're like, Oh, okay. I understand sometimes now why decisions are made that way. And, and you look at it and you say, can it be done better? And I think that's the thing is Mm -hmm. like, can it be done better? And a lot of things are in response to other things that have come before it. Like there was Second City and then kind of IO popped out in response to that and said, hey, we want to get you on stage faster. It's a response to the button down suit and tie and dress. And we're going to let you wear, be a little more casual. UCB popped out of that. We're going to let you wear whatever you want, do kind of your own thing and, and this and that. So yeah, I think it's a constant state of evolution. And for a while, we didn't look at what we had. It just was, this is the way it was. This is forcing us to look at it. Now the challenge is once these changes are made, are the same players who took advantage of folks coming back into the game at some point, either those same people or, or different people since sensing a knee or, a, or a, an opportunity in that case to take advantage of people for years. Improv is like, it's a for-profit business that is run as a not-for-profit with volunteers and free labor and people who are not trained to be bouncers at your club. And it's like, they aren't trained to be bouncers and handle conflicts, but if I want to get a free class, that's what I have mm-hmm. to do. So we, we are starting now to look at that. And I think there are people in, in groups that are forming that have formed during the pandemic where it's like, let's take a look at what this is and let's see if we can change the model. And and you're right. It's got to be a new change in the model. And I think a place like Second City, I mean, I'm I'm honestly still surprised it, it's around. But when you have a venture capital firm come and, and infuse a bunch of cash throw a bunch of money at you, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the same with IO. It's like, well, if you have a bunch of cash thrown at you and, and they must see there's some need for it. So 
that business model of having people do free labor is pretty brilliant. It's, it's, it's evil. It's not, but it's brilliant, right? It's like, you're going to do free labor for me. It's genius, genius, but it's not good. It's not ethical. So at some point it's like, and for me, we talked about that long form, like why people don't come out and see it. It's like, here's, here's why I think they don't, people don't treat long form shows like theater. So they don't come out and they they don't come out professional. They don't wear a professional outfit. They come out and they say shit like, mm-hmm. we're just doing make them ups. They charge five bucks a ticket. They set the bar really low. So it's like, well, why are people going to come? Uh, your friends and family come see that. You're giving them a $5 show versus like notch it up a little bit more professionally and and say, we're giving you this. We're, we're giving you a professional show. It's going to be a seven. This is going to be a seven. This is going to be a seven dollar <laughs> show. But it is going to be a thing like, oh, wow, look at the lights. Right. Look at how they walked on stage. Look at the bow, like all the little things that we don't get trained as as improvisers. If you just took a little bit more care of far as professionally, I'm not talking like you got to wear suit and tie like you can wear. An, like you can have a performing outfit that looks good. That isn't like mm-hmm. corporate stuffed, you know, cor- corporate attire, right. but plan out, plan out the music, plan out the lights, plan all that stuff out, hold ourselves more accountable as far as like, we're not doing make ups. What we do as improvisers, very difficult. And we, we always do that stuff of like, mm-hmm. we're just doing silly make ups. It's like, that really bothers me. It's not silly make up. It's very challenging to create entertainment on the spot with no netting. So if we, if we raise that expectation in ourselves right. and we treated things a, with right. a little more professionalism and we say, this is worth $10, this is worth, how much are you paying for a movie? $15, what we're going to give you is worth that much. And we put that effort into it. I think it could raise it. And I think we could have that. When I went into doing more corporate improv and and, and corporate work mm-hmm. and looked at what my day rate was, and I was like, it's going to be this. And I had somebody advise me and said, no, it should be this. And you have to put yourself in context of that that environment rather than as an improviser asking for work. And you will deliver it for them. Yeah. But you you asked for more and you delivered more. And I think that's something that we're battling of people who just want to be in a clubhouse, which is fine and just do fun stuff. And then people who are Mm -hmm. like, if you want to make a living doing it, you have to kind of raise your game a little bit. What putting aside the the virtual J uh, from here on out, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) pre COVID in person, what, how would you describe your ideal audience or your ideal audience and setting to perform? Are they paying? That's, that's one thing is they're, they're, they're paying for entertainment. (laughs) You you want to, you want a group of a thousand people who leave behind their wallets with no ID. (laughs) Well, I do. Yes. (laughs) Uh, their, their credit card information. No, uh, I think, I think. A, Can we be a little less mercenary? I don't think so. Sorry, buddy. You didn't know pre COVID J. No, I, no, now I know. Um, now I know. I do think like, I think an audience that is there because they want to have a good time. And I mean, like they, they, they spent time, they're, they're going out, they want to have fun. Like, I think that to me is, is it a big room or a small room? Um, I don't know if it really matters because maybe it's because I've had the luxury and privilege of playing all kinds of shows. Like it'd be Uh great to have a a huge audience, but I think improv is pretty intimate. So if you get a state, a place that's over 150 seats, it starts to lose, it starts to lose for me 
the enjoyment as much. Now, I'm not saying I won't do those shows, but mm -hmm. I think it's a theater that's like 99 seats. It's all full. There's kind of a buzz of excitement of what's going to happen. The audience is right at the mm -hmm. stage. There's no divide between the end of the mm -hmm. stage and the audience. Like they're right there. Um, it's, it's a stage that's more like, um, wide. So you have more of an audience in front of you that you can see. I, I like those. Okay. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't like audiences that I have to feel like I have to control. Like if they're drinking too much, like late night crowds are not my jam anymore because mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, they're, they're very, they can be very vocal thinking they're helping you. They can be very vocal thinking that they want you to heckle and shut them down. Like, so to me, that's not my favorite audience. My, I like an audience that mm -hmm. like, I don't mind an audience that's loud and boisterous. I just don't like dealing with people that are drunk because it's, it's just unpredictable. There's too much unpredictability mm -hmm. with that. So I like looking yeah. down and seeing like friends of mine on stage. Like I, I almost to the point with like right before the shutdown, I liked doing that show that I did improv famous because most of the time I would just, sit on the sidelines and watch my friends play. And most sometimes they didn't know each other. So watching friends connect who had never met, who like really mm -hmm. jammed out, that was real fun for me. So I, I, I'm of a point in my career now where I like hosting things a lot more. I really enjoy that. I enjoy like introducing a show or watching them do it um, pr probably more mm -hmm. than I actually like doing the show because I like watching my friends succeed. So Having that, I don't have to have a big room. I think, yeah, uh, like a hundred seat is a nice sweet spot. Do you have goals for the, whatever the rest of your improv career is? Yeah. Moment to moment. And I'm not being, I'm yeah. not, I'm not trying to be like, like witty or anything. I, I'm really trying to just enjoy every moment and not worry about the next one and worry about the next mountain that I want to climb in improv. Because like okay. what I've learned is after my girlfriend said this, you climb the mountain and then you look out and there's another mountain yeah. and it's like, right. there's always, and so I don't, I want to stop chasing things and just be like, can I enjoy this moment right now before I move on to anything else? So that's, that's my goal is to be more present. What were you chasing before? Oh, I would be chasing things like my name should be on that wall of your performers. Hmm. I should be asked to do this showcase. I should be asked to do this show with this group. I should be a part. It was always that I should be on this team. I should be all of that stuff of like, I'm not enjoying my thing. I'm, I'm looking for the next mm -hmm. thing. And, and it's something that you see in, I mean, you see this in students as well, where it's like, don't, don't get past the moment. Don't worry about the next level, the next show. Don't worry about the graduate. Don't worry about who's in the, just this moment right now. Can I have the most fun out of this moment before we move on to something else uh how do you think things would have been different if you had that mentality more 15 years ago uh well that's interesting because 15 yeah 15 years ago about well 15 to 20 years ago i had come off of uh i had paused improv and i was getting back into it and oh, and okay. i was like okay. I got to catch up to the people, to my friends who have moved on to bigger and better groups mm. or done TV or I got to get there. So I was chased during that time. I was really trying to get somewhere and I was trying to, to achieve something. And so if I had said, wait a minute, don't get past the moment, it would have saved me heartache too. It would have been easier. It would have saved me pain. It would have had me say to some groups I was involved in, this isn't working for me. 
nothing against anybody. Mm -hmm. Just I'm not digging it right now. And I'm probably not bringing my best energy. But instead, it was that fear of I don't want to lose my spot in line. I felt like there was a line in Chicago and it's like, uh, I got to this point. I don't want to lose this versus like it's not bringing me joy. So why don't I not do this and allow space for joy to come in? And that was more just like a community wide uh, spot in line as opposed to this theater or that or maybe all of them. I, don't I know. think it was a kind of combination of a bunch because. In Chicago, you would Second City and I.O. and Comedy Sports and Annoyance and, and all those things kind of were very um, incestuous. There was a lot of people working at the different spaces. So it wasn't necessarily like I'm losing my spot at this theater, but it's more like, oh, I'm at this theater. Therefore, I'm afforded these opportunities or I might be considered for this. Mm -hmm. And it was like if I just enjoyed the moment, I would have said no to some things, too, that were like, I don't want to do that. Like. I don't want to audition for this show or, or that thing. So I would have said no because it wouldn't have brought me joy. But instead, I got worked up and I wanted to audition for it. To please someone yeah, or, or to get or everyone to please everyone yeah. or to get what I thought I was. Here's a big word that's dangerous. Entitled. I was entitled to be on that wall of your performers. My name should be there or at my headshot should mm -hmm. be on that. And all that stuff got me away from why I got started, which was going back to that mm -hmm. comedy sports show, which is like, I don't know what's happening, but man, I'm having fun <laughs> with this dude. And oh, okay. I'm uh, frying an egg. Oh, I, I knocked him out of the game. <laughs> like I, I wanted to get back to that, which was, Oh, that's, that's the nuclear bomb. <laughs> and what are you doing? You fry an egg and, <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he dropped out. He's like, I can't. I Brian's can't beat good, it. but he can't beat the he can't fried beat egg. the egg thing. <laughs> and isn't it so funny? That was nineteen, probably eighty-seven, and I still remember yeah. Brian. I still remember that mm -hmm. show. I still remember that feeling. All these years later, and so yeah. there's something magical about it. And if if we can continue to expand this art form and expand the accessibility for people, as far as like, you're mm -hmm. like, come in every there's that everybody get in here festival, which I love, which is just like you show up, you play. And that's what they used to do. There was a um, Jeff Michalski would tell me the story and Jane Morris out in, in, in Los Angeles mm -hmm. where they had an all-star second city jam back in like the eighties, I think. And it was like uh, Paul Sills kind of was, was in charge. And it's like, whoever shows up plays, and it was like, no questions, no. Yeah. And I feel the same way. I'm like, man, I want to go back to that, which is like, whoever shows up, you play. You don't have to give credentials or anything like that. It's like, are you willing to have fun? Can you just not be a jerk? If you if you cannot be a jerk, then come play. And if you can be a jerk, then go down to theater XYZ because I'm sure there's a spot for you there. But I just don't want to, I just don't want to be around people. And that's the other thing too. I, I just, 15 years ago, if I had said like, just don't, remove yourself from people that don't make you feel good about yourself. Like they're not gatekeepers of anything. Mm -hmm. And in the same thing, don't be around people where you're not making them feel good about themselves. Don't be that. Don't, don't yuck their yum. You know, what got you to make the uh, career decision to make improv your career from whatever it was before? Uh, length of service. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was, it eventually became a possibility. It was not mm -hmm. like, you know, when I first got into it, there was this thought it was a dead end job, which was very enjoyable. It's like, this is a dead end job. Ain't going nowhere with this. No pressure to succeed. And I love that. 
because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I certainly just don't want to do. I don't want to have one of those careers that people talk about. I don't want to do that. I don't know what it is yet. I just want to enjoy and create and have fun and, and make people laugh. And I didn't realize there could be a career. And then it started transitioning from, oh, you can make money doing a show for $4. You could teach and make $20. Oh, you could run a workshop and get $50. Oh, I could learn how to do corporate entertainment and improv and get $300 a day. Oh, I could do, now I can learn how to do facilitation and workshops. And so it, it transitioned and you, you kind of step back, you know, you step back and go, Oh, I guess this is kind of my career now I've done all this stuff. And now while I'm dealing with clients and I have people that I work with on a consistent basis. And so it, it transformed but it was not the initial goal by any means. It wasn't even the goal after 10 years, man. It was just like, ah, I yeah. do this. And then I go, <laughs> I go work in a restaurant or I work in a call center or I work at, at this market research place during the day, just so I can perform at night. I didn't care what I did during the day. I just, the, the goal was to get enough to be, have a roof over my head to then be able to perform at night and not even get paid to perform just to go perform. Cause it was so much fun. Did, uh, well, let me stop on this. Cause there, to me, there was, there was a there's a, a duality yeah. to what I've heard from you describe over I think the same time period. On the one hand, it was just you know I just want to play and perform. On the other is I want to have this position or my headshot on the wall or whatever. How how did those two things show up? Because I think those would be happening at the same time, right? Well, I think I started off where it was like, I just want to perform and have fun and do it. And then I think you start getting, you start taking more classes, you start seeing more opportunities. You're like, there's a limited amount of, of performance opportunities in this city or at this theater. So then it starts becoming yeah. by virtue of that a competition. And that's when it started seeping in. So it wasn't, mm -hmm. I didn't even... I didn't even think you could when I first started. It wasn't like, oh, like it is now, which is I'm going to perform right. to get on stage. It was like, oh, we get to do a show after our third level class. OK. And then yeah. it was like, oh, you can perform to be on Second City, but there's five spots and there's right. there's maybe 20 spots between the touring company and the other at ETC. So it's like, all right, there's there's really no chance I'm going to get one of those. So. But then you got mm -hmm. to, I went to IO and it was like, we get you on stage the fastest. So level one, you're on stage. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then you became on a team, but still there was not the amount of people there are today. Then mm -hmm. you come back and it's like, well, actually there was a lot more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than today. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then, and then you, not soon enough. Uh, and then you, <laughs> now you go to a time where it's like, oh, there's a graduation show and you get judged from that graduation show. Then you get put on a team and then your team is on a schedule and it might get cut. And so you're, you're like, Oh shoot, I want, how do I get to that team? And that team's on weekends. I want to be. So then that goal, that final result takes precedence because now my brain's like, yeah. I have an objective. My brain doesn't care yeah. about the fun. My brain's like, what's the point? What's the goal? And what's the survive? How do I survive this? Right. It's like, well, I'll survive if I get my name on that wall or my headshot on that wall. And it's like, no, none of that shit matters, man. But it took me decades to understand that and to circle. It's a it, yeah. dude. It's you know, it's a big, long circle. And you get back to the beginning, which is like, oh, I'm doing it to have fun <laughs> with friends. 
that's it. It took me so right, long. Right. <laughs> some people, very few, but some people get that from the beginning. For me, it's like, nope, it took me 30, almost probably 20 years, honestly, 20 years to be like, oh shit, I just want to have fun with my friends. None of that other stuff matters. That team doesn't matter. Huh. That wall, none of that stuff matters, man. And once my name's on the wall, yeah. pretty soon it's going to be replaced by another name and another photo. And I don't mm -hmm. want, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this for that. In mm -hmm. fact, take me off the wall. I don't want that. I want to live in anonymity. That's what I love about improv. You're, there's a certain level of anonymity. Certainly can be. Yeah. The, the, as you described it, you know, just it's like the, the moving the cheese, you know, like the yeah. goal is always being moved just a little further away. And that is in some ways insidious in its yes, own way. A hundred percent. Yeah. Man. It's just. Yeah. And it's it's you start you get into a level one. You have a teacher and a group that goes, you there are no rules. Yeah. And you go, great, I can do anything. You leave, you're like, oh my God, I did it. I was a dragon on a seesaw and it was great. Level two, somebody goes, no, oh, there are some rules. And then level three, you got to fry an gotta, egg. Yeah, yeah, you got to fry an egg. <laughs> level three, someone goes, we have to fit it within this time frame in this format. And now you're just like, oh, now you're uh -huh. like, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing this wrong. Right. I'm getting, I, the goal needs to be on that team, on that show. And I'm getting farther away from that. And now you're, you're, you're like, Hey, mm -hmm. Hey, what's up? I don't really want to like you because we're in competition for the job. <laughs> so, so you become like right. less vulnerable and genuine. And it becomes this uh -huh. thing of like, I hope you get the job. I really don't, but I'm going to say it because that's what we say here. Got your right. back, pat your back. I go on stage. I'm like, you're an asshole. And it's like, what, what happened to got your back? Like that creed, that we live by right. and so it, it becomes this expect we, we set yeah. up expectations for ourselves we set up goals we set up things we want and it's like all of that that and it's no different than a lot of philosophies and religions and thoughts of stay present what's 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 fueling you yeah. right now and don't regret the past and fear the future just be in the moment and you you learn that early on in improv mm -hmm. and then you forget it and then you start worrying about because you start worrying about format and the third callback and what's the fourth beat and we're all that stuff just starts clouding. Whereas if you, I, I'm convinced, if you were never taught that format and you were just told go out and follow what's happening, you'd do it. You'd do it a hundred percent. But you, you, your brain has mm -hmm. the, you're doing it right or wrong, and it always convinces you you're doing mm -hmm. it wrong. So, I don't know if it's and maybe you could speak to this if if you wish, but learning improv in Chicago and growing up there in your improv career is a very different experience in a lot of ways than, you know, mine in Milwaukee, a much smaller city because, and I started a little bit later. I started when I was, I don't know, 28, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a given a workshop and I, I may have said this on the podcast before, but I did a one-on-one. I thought, Oh, that's fun. I'll do the one two, one Oh three. Then you could audition uh, to get into 104. I said, if I don't get it, I'll stop. I got it. And then 104, you could, you know, <laughs> be asked to audition for the minor leagues. And then they did. I was going to stop if I didn't get it. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to make my money back. And <laughs> Milwaukee Comedy Sports, I think my first show check was 20 or 25. Yeah. That's the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, they always did yeah. pay well. I mean, for for comedy sports it was always right. like yeah they 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 understood that even that amount relatively speaking yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so i made my money back and i was like i didn't have another goal yeah. after that in some ways and then i didn't have that other 
thing that I was chasing. I mean, I suppose I could have come up with something, but. Well, yeah. And you're, you're in a city where it's not as oversaturated as it was in Chicago, especially during, I felt like the, the late nineties really started that escalation. And then it was just like, oh my God, between people wanting to learn this books, um, social media or like YouTube, and then people going on to, to SNL and in living color and those shows that fame started to kick in and that's a hell of a drug in the States. And so people were like, whether it's the fame of that or whether it's people started teaching workshops, like traveling around and there were some festivals and then people were like, I want to learn from this person. Let's move to their city, which happened where it was like a whole group would yeah. go, let's, let's study with them. They live in Chicago. We're all going to move to Chicago. And then it's like that spawned another generation of performers. So I think that in some ways also Chicago for a long time got too much credit for performers and teachers where you would say, Oh, I'm from Chicago. And they go, Oh, okay. Like you got this instant credibility. Like if, a like, on, like on a show poster, if a band has like from New York city, you go, Oh, well they're from New York. Right. It's that, it's that <laughs> credibility that Chicago got, whether you were a good teacher or not, you were like, well, I, I, trained or I teach there. So you got that because it was known as the place. So grow, but growing up, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than, than going to a place where like, yeah, Chicago trained improv. uh, And then you go and you're like, Oh my gosh, what (laughs) take Chicago. That is not fair to Chicago. (laughs) Take that off your poster. And it's, and it's also interesting of like, what, people say Chicago style improv and you will get different answers from everyone. Someone will be like, it's really slow. Someone will be like, it's fast. Someone will say it's character. Someone will say it's format. Like it just is, it's a very interesting terminology. Cause it's like, what is that? When you say Chicago style, what does that mean? If somebody asks you that, do you give, do you have an answer? I ask them, I say, what does it mean to you? Mm -hmm. Like, that's my first question is like, when you say Chicago style improv, what does that mean? Because I say like, I don't know. I asked you first. (laughs) (laughs) But I I, I tell them, I go like, I don't know what that means. It's a term I've heard. I've never used it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever used it to describe my style of play, but it's interesting to be like, what is that? What does that mean to you? So I think it's like, in a way, it's kind of like New Orleans jazz, where it's like there were a bunch of great jazz artists that came out and then it developed into a style. And I think maybe the style, if I had to guess, maybe the style would be that that people would want to talk about would be mostly that io style would be the chicago style of like relationship and and more of that but uh yeah i don't know so i think yeah I did, but also when i when i was training early on it was like you had the players workshop was really the only one doing kind of a training center and then io kind of came along and like mm-hmm. like so there weren't a whole bunch when i was first starting there wasn't a whole bunch of options like to to take classes and then it eventually changed to where it was like man you had musical improv specialty theaters and you had the annoying style which you it was in response to io of like fuck it do anything take care of yourself kind of thing and it all gets us to the same destination it's just who who is the teacher that delivers the message that makes sense to you when you hear it what is the destination man it's 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 to me it's like they're all trying to get you to to be open for ideas that's the thing and like 
I, the journey is what it's all about. Like, and I think they're trying to get mm-hmm. people into the, like, to me, the best, the best teachers and the destination is embracing who you are and finding people who dig that style and bringing that out, bringing your, like learning to be more in touch with who you are and being proud of that and saying like, this is me and finding a space mm-hmm. where that can thrive and shine, not I'm doing this style that is in reflection of my teacher because I want to impress my teacher. or I want to be like my teacher. It's like, no, learning your mm-hmm. style and doing your thing, whatever that means to you. To me, that's like the destination is like, I'm, I know what my thing is right now. It might change, but right now mm-hmm. my thing is this and I'm going to continue to do this and I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a, 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 a covering over my light. I'm going to let it shine and I'm going to find people to help me with that too. And if you don't want to help me with that, that's cool but I'm going to choose to be around the other people who do help me with that. What teachers do you think uh, had the biggest impact on you? I mean, Martin DeMott had a huge impact on me and I didn't take many classes with him, but just knowing him yeah. and, and his style, uh, saying things like improv is not there to make you feel bad about yourself. If everyone took an improv class, the mm-hmm. world would be a better place. He had a huge impact on my, on my philosophy. You know, a guy like, you know, I had my level one was Stephen Colbert. And so it was that like you could do anything kind of thing. He had a big influence on me. Dave Rosowski had a big influence on me. Uh, Steve Carell was another teacher I had. Guy like A guy like Dave Gaudet at Comedy Sports in Chicago was somebody who had an influence on me because I was young. And it taught me like he taught me about the importance of including the audience and finding your stage persona. And that, that really did teach me a ton and learning how to play certain improv games was a big influence on me as, as I went along and noticed that uh, a, a woman named Jean Villapic had a huge influence on me for one workshop. I was on stage with a friend of mine and I was, you know, this was God, I'd been doing improv at least 10 years. And we were at a, I never forget. We were at a Starbucks. We were kind of sarcastically arguing and she goes, hold on. She stopped the scene. She goes, she asked me, she goes, do you like him off stage? I go, yeah, he's like one of my best friends. She goes, well, why don't you try liking him on stage? And that blew my mind. And that is, you could see Mm -hmm. one, one little piece of instruction can like completely change the course of how you perform. And that did it for me. So they've all been like huge. Any, any teacher I've taken, I've learned something. Mm -hmm. They've they've influenced me in some ways. Sometimes at a certain time in my life, a teacher can't comes along that, I am able to hear that message clearer at that time in my life. I might've heard it a million times before, but at that point, that person said it in such a way that I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. How separate is the craft from the personal development part of it? Because like some of the things that you just referenced, I could see how that can impact what you do on stage. Yeah. But it also feels like it's a personal refinement kind of stuff that's also <laughs> in the mix there. <laughs> it's all per, to me. It's all personal refinement. It yeah. is like yeah. That's what you're bringing to the stage. And when I was only doing improv, I had to take a break because I was bringing nothing but improv stuff to an improv stage. All of my stuff was just like mm-hmm. based on improv shows, and I had to take myself out go live life a little bit, reconnect with people. And then I could bring that to the stage. So like, for me, it's 
heightened versions of you and what's your truth. I mean, that's for the artist. It's always like, what's your truth? What's your, what, what is your belief? Yeah. What's your truth? And for me, that's it. And it, it changes, it grows, it adapts, it, it adjusts. And what my truth is now is completely different than when I started, you know, I've got two kids. So things I find that I connect with as a parent is different mm -hmm. than when I had no children. So it's constant. It's a constant evolution. And are you able to let go of things in the past that you don't need anymore and embrace the new things that are coming your way and be open for that? If you've got somebody starting out today in improv, how do you decide where to start? Ah, <laughs> recently a lot of it has been like uh like groupons really incentivize people <laughs> to take classes uh but from but now i'm like the biggest thing to do is just start meaning like just sign up for a class there are so the internet's wonderful facebook is wonderful you can find an improv class any part of the world in so many different languages which is very exciting and you can either reach out and ask people, you can do a Google search of improv. Like if you have a thought of like, maybe I should, that's the voice telling you to do it. And then just take one class. And my hope is that people don't make their judgment on improv based on one class. Like whether it's a great experience or not a great experience, take a couple classes and then you'll start understanding, okay, this I really connect with this style. I really want to learn this. I want to learn the game of the scene. I want to learn how to play short form games. I want to learn how to do silent work. I want to learn characters like, but just take one, take do a Google search, do a Yelp search, like use the internet net, use social media, even just posting on your Facebook page. I'm thinking of taking an improv class. Who should I take it with? I'm, there will be people that will respond to that. Uh, it's happened before where people have tagged me or friends of mine. It's like, take it from this person. So Take it, it, even if you don't want to perform, especially if you don't want to perform and you're just like, I want to be less socially awkward. I want to learn how to be more confident. I want to learn to listen better. Like those are all skills you'll learn from an improv class. It's just positioned in a way that's not like Toastmasters, which is a great organization, but it's not like mm -hmm. count the number of ums in your sentence and then cut it. It's not that. It's like you're going to learn through play, which is the way humans learn. And this is it's true now. It's like we learn through the sense of play where there are low stakes, but you start to learn more about yourself. So just take one class. And the Zoom classes are great because they're a lot shorter than in-person classes, uh, most of them. So go to a jam, go to a free improv jam where you don't even have to take a class. Like, uh, And if you don't have money to take a class, reach out to me. I will find money if you really want to take a class from someone. This offer, stand, I will find money to get you into a class. A lot of these classes are very cheap. They're five, 10 bucks, pay what you can. Yeah. Like you don't have to, that's not a barrier anymore. And for a while it was a barrier for us. It was proximity and cost were a barrier for a lot of people. Now we don't have those. We have a lot of options. We have a lot of options. There are still some, there are still some barriers. And I think we're kind of figuring some of that stuff out. Yeah. What, what has been the biggest impact of the world of improv becoming in some ways smaller and in some ways bigger over the past year and a half on just sort of your view of the improv universe. Oh, what have you picked up? Man, I am just so thankful that it, it, like not to 
diminish people's suffering because that is like, of course, the pandemic, the, the, the amount of devastation right. is not to be overlooked for sure. When you're talking just about improv in that specific element, yes. the fact that it has, like you said, it's both shrunk and widened the world. You can now experience cultures easier. You can reach out to other people. You develop friends throughout the world through improv. That's we've, we've mm -hmm. touched with people. You are one degree removed from a lot of people now. It's like I met so many amazing people I never would have met or I definitely would not have met as easily that I've met through the pandemic right. who become people that I do shows with now become friends and, and people I go and consult with. And I say, what do you do in this situation? Like people like Stephanie Ray and Michelle Gilliam and you, like we never Lakshmi Priya and Bala, all these people that we now have a connection that we didn't have before. And I can reach out to you and right. I have done that before and said, Hey, what do you, I've got this situation. What would you do in it? How do you do this thing? And then you might say like, dude, I don't know. Or you might go, I've tried this or like, Oh, try, I don't know. Do this. And I feel it's been a lot less territorial and a lot less like, don't, don't share information. Don't do their competition. Yeah. More like, I don't know, let's figure a way to make this work together. And that spirit is why I want to do it. That's why I want to continue to do it. And I'm seeing this now. And, and I do have a fear that when it goes back in person, that competition element will creep back in that what theater are you with will creep back in a lot of the same stuff I'm, i i hope we do learn from it but i'm i'm nervous we won't whereas here it's like there are groups that have been started during the pandemic there are theaters that have been started during the pandemic that are saying wait a minute we're going to change the way things are going there's a social justice project that my friends uh rachel and shari are doing right now that are based in improv that they got a grant to do and they're going to do through virtual uh, uh workshopping and and training and things like that so there are so many things right now that are happening that it's been an explosion of improv and it's allowed us to see people in their environment and in their culture and let them mm -hmm. step forward and say my voice needs to be heard as well and give space for that i think more readily now it's not perfect obviously, but it's turning that way. And you can learn so much now if you just keep your mouth shut and your eyes open and ears open and just watch some of these comments and these threads and these groups, and you can learn so much and improve what you're offering. So I, I think it's made it a better place for not just the world, but especially for improv. I think there are more opportunities now than ever before. And those gatekeepers are no longer there. And the, the second cities of the world are still trying to figure out how to make this work in this pandemic. And I don't know if we're going to go back to in-person anytime soon, or if we're going to have another lockdown, but I know that this opportunity to connect with people throughout the globe is very exciting and why I want to do it. That's why I want to stay virtual. I want to be able to still reach mm -hmm. out to people in the throughout the world and say like let's see where this can go what's this new chapter and and keep yeah. the stage stuff and and the problem that people are having is like you're trying to make people are saying like it's not the same it's like yeah just accept it it's not it's not the same end of story it's not the same like it's not it shouldn't be the same don't treat, don't try and make yeah. your, and <laughs> no one is saying it right. is. <laughs> and people are like, oh, I can't do it that way. It's like, good. Don't, if you want to wait till it goes back to in person, wait. you know, cake's not pie. Right. People are like, I want this to be pie. It's like, no, it's cake. It's obviously, why are you trying to make, but no, no, it's not pie. No, it's no, exactly. 
And I say they have the the live and stuff. Well, they're both round, but, but it's okay. See, <laughs> here's the thing: it's not the same. <laughs> but there's a lot of similarities. Yes, there are. There are a lot of sim. But again, it's not pie. It's cake. Enjoy it for being cake. But if it, it could only be pie, yeah. I don't want it to be pie. But it's got to be. Ca- uh, you know who likes cake? Willie yeah. Stargell. See, there we go. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. That is 3C. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, I feel like that's a button right there, even though I have other things to share with you. But I will I will say one thing in response that just showed up today. So uh, our group, we um, kind of uh, um, auditioned, trained, cast uh, a group in Denver and launched them in February of 2020. Great timing. Perfect. <laughs> and Perfect. So, yeah. So before they had their first live show, obviously the lockdown happened and they're going to have their first show in person uh, next Friday. I'm very excited wow. for them. They're very funny, uh, good people. But somebody, one of the uh, the troop members there posted about this show saying, come come see us and all this kind of stuff. And somebody posted, and I don't know if they were in town or not. But it's like, oh, I'm really missing the virtual stuff. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, we're going to keep doing that too. Yeah. <laughs> we took a break for, for August uh, just because oh it's summer and we needed a little break. But uh yeah, there are going to be people who are going to want that stuff too. I mean, so why not do both? Right. If you have the capability to do both, absolutely do both. And for the group that's going up in Denver, it's like give yourself a couple shows to get the the whole uh, tempo of a live show. It's a it's it's going right. to be a different beast. And you know, we have not been pausing for laughter because we really haven't heard any. And so when that person. <laughs> You're going to want to step on that. You know, I mean, that's something you have to learn, too. Even before the pandemic, it was like you have to learn not to wait for the laughs, but pause when they come and then go up over them at the end. Like it's it's a skill that just takes experience doing. So realize that first show back yeah. is going to be clunky for you, the audience. It's going to be clunky for everybody <laughs> and just enjoy it. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> it is different. It has helped. Most of the shows we do, we've had six people who are part of yeah. the on-screen stuff. And, you know, you find ways to keep your mics on and laugh along the way just to give that little feel. But anyway, well, Jay, we will end after 3C. <laughs> that was my little group game for us to finish out. Uh, but uh, uh, just really appreciate uh, how you you stayed present and visible to the improv community and... Uh, I know, I know you're a kind of a lifelong learner in this stuff, and I think that's inspirational as well. And uh, glad to have you as a friend, and hopefully we get a chance to get to talk again. Real oh, soon. wait, it's been a pleasure. It's a true honor. I love your podcast, and I'm I'm so uh, I'm so honored to be a guest on it. Thank you, my friend. I can't wait to to play with you and and talk more. I appreciate Jay's enthusiasm and genuine commitment to the idea that the world would be a better place if everyone took an improv class. And also appreciate that he traces that back to the inspiration of Martin DeMott. Important in that, though, is a recognition that what you or others might get out of the experience or want to get out of the experience can be wildly different. Leaving more room for those different goals, even within the performance sphere, can be healthy for an individual, class, or even an entire improv community. Another point to highlight is the attention to the overall show and the audience's experience.
We've had a variety of points of view on the topic of how much weight you should put on the audience's experience, but the impact of considering the whole show, the whole experience, and thinking about any performance as a theatrical event has been another common theme. Those seem to come together in a number of Jay's comments, so look for those if you go back and listen again. Keep chasing that next perfect 10-minute scene with Jay on his YouTube channel or on his Facebook feed. You can find a number of links and resources for Jay, of course, at the episode webpage at improvcomedyconnection.com. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to voices like Jay's. To help more people hear the insights and perspectives of the guests that we have, would you please share this podcast with your friend and rate and subscribe to the Improv Comedy Connection and do the same for other podcasts that are making your life and your craft better. It takes no time, but you'll make those other hosts day by taking just a few seconds to click five stars or maybe a minute to write a quick, encouraging review. Again, my name is Whit Schiller, and I'm an improviser out of Milwaukee, and I'm with Fishsticks Comedy. You can check us out at fishstickscomedy.com, and you can connect with me on social media at Whit Schiller on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also go to witschiller.com for additional content and resources to help you in your comedy or communication journey. I'm doing this to be of help to you and others as we work together to connect more deeply with each other and our audiences through comedy. Thanks again for tuning in to the Improv Comedy Connection.